Good to see all the faces here. And uh, we, uh, yeah, I just want to mention again that, you know, we've been called on. We've decided as a church uh, last last weekend to uh, engage in 30 days of prayer for our church, for our church and for our district and some uh, decision-making that, that needs to be done. And by the way, I just want to point that out, that that came from uh, somebody who I, I think most of us know here, a very, very humble and wise man named uh, Dan Work, Pastor Dan Work. So uh, based, on, based on that, I, I am still taking a little bit of a break from Philippians this morning. And, you know, we're going we're gonna to look at that, that necessity, that need for us to, uh, to pray, to call out to God. And the, uh, the passage that we're going to look at today is in Second Chronicles 7, 14, 7, 13, 14. I think that most of us are familiar with this. As you as you turn to that, uh, we at one at one point we lit, Chris and I and our, our family lived in uh, Central Arizona, Prescott, Arizona. Now Arizona is a pretty arid state, and when Arizona has a drought, it's bad. <laughs> so we we had a drought for for a few years. It was uh, very extreme. The uh, national forests closed off uh, access to uh, all the national forest land. There was a uh, burn ban. I'm, I'm sure that. You guys are all familiar with with that kind of thing, you know. Just maybe just a Western thing, not just a, a Southwestern thing. But uh, where we lived, there was some pretty hardy vegetation. We we had a bunch of uh, uh, scrub oak, and uh, this this one year the the drought was so bad that the scrub oak leaves never turned green. They just they just stayed brown through the the spring and, and the summer. We thought they were dead. The uh, drought was so bad that uh, millions of acres of uh, ponderosa pine uh, became real vulnerable because of being so dry to uh, bark beetles so a lot of a lot of these trees were were killed so there'd be these vast areas where the trees were orange instead of green like you expect from an evergreen They, they were dead from the drought and it was kind of depressing it really was you know it just kind of felt like God's blessing was missing on, on this land. And that's something that we can experience spiritually as well. We can experience a spiritual drought where it just seems like, you know, the, the, the abundant life is not something we feel like we're really experiencing as Maybe a church growth is not happening or, you know, there's, there's things going on that just seem to be wrong somehow. And, uh, you know, we, we uh, just as, as in that, uh, that drought in Arizona, you know, it, it, it sometimes seems like maybe God has, has withheld his, his hand of blessing. And, uh, you know, Dryness, lack of life. We we desperate, desperately need renewal from above. That's what this passage is about. Renewal and restoration. Well, in this sermon, uh, I want to I want to look at this in in three parts from this passage. We we've got three C's. We've got crisis, cost, and change. The uh, the crisis is the uh, the set of circumstances that necessitates 
renewal. The uh, the cost is the uh, set of circumstances, or excuse me, the, the cost is a set of conditions that God has given us to lift us out of this, this crisis and bring renewal. The change is a set of results that are promised by God if we obey him with this conditional promise. So Second Chronicles 7, 13, and 14. And uh, now before I start that, you know, think about the Old Testament. I've, I've been reading through uh, the Old Testament uh, as part of my reading plan, and I'm in, Ju- I'm in the book of Judges right now. And you see in the book of Judges especially where it just, you, you go, come on, people. They, they experience God's blessing. God sends them a, a judge, and things go well, and then, you know, eventually they forget about God. They start going after other gods, false gods, idols. And the Lord allows bad things to happen to them. And they finally get to the point to where they're, they're at the end of the rope. They're at the end of themselves. And all they can do, the only, the only direction to look is upward. And they're in a position to call out to God. And God in his mercy sends another judge, rescues them. He blesses them. And, you know, it's just like the, uh, the shampoo bottle, leather, rinse, repeat. You know, it's just kind of a repeated cycle you, you see throughout the, uh, the Old Testament as God's people turn to him. He blesses them. They forget about him, turn away. Crisis happens. So, in... Uh, In, uh, you know, it, it, it's against this backdrop of, of this idea that we come to Solomon, who is David's son, and he's, he's dedicating the temple that he built. Solomon had prayed to God concerning God's people, Israel, and uh, God answered his prayer, and that's, that's what these couple verses uh, contain, God's response. He said, I've heard your prayer. And I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. And when I shut up the heavens so there's no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or, or send pestilence among my people, I think we, most of us know this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. So, my first point is deals with crisis. You know, crisis uh, makes renewal necessary. It puts us in a position where we need God to do something. We're, we're desperate. Sometimes God will allow crisis as a result of our sinful, uh, sinful behavior. Uh, verse 13, as we go into there, we, we see the results of, of that sinful behavior as God's people have turned their back on him, gone their own way, forgotten about him. You know, we see that uh, God has allowed them to do what they wanted to do, but he's, but they forfeited their blessing, you know, and, and even the, the very land that they live in is experiencing uh, the, the consequences. Now, you know, God says that uh, there, there will be times when this happens where he shuts up the heavens so there, there's no rain, uh, he'll he'll command the the locusts to devour the land, send pestilence. So you know, in in a in an agrarian society, this is bad. You know, they didn't have uh, 
pivot irrigation or, or anything. You know, they were very dependent on the, on the natural rain that would fall from the sky. And, uh, you know, we should not consider this to be a normal thing. You know, drought and, and locusts and, and pine beetles are uh, not to be thought of as something that describes a normal condition of, of blessing from God. Uh, in, in Psalm 65, verses 10 and 11, uh, G- David gives a really good picture of uh, what God really wants for his people. Listen to this description. He says, you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. Your water, or you water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and, and blessing its, grow, its growth. You know, this, this just really truly descri- describes the blessing of God on the land. Now, spiritually, how, how does this apply to us as individuals? Yeah, how, and, and collectively, corporately, how, how does this apply to us as a church? These things can come upon us. Uh, we see that sometimes we don't, we don't see good evidence of, of God's blessing. You know, do, do we see growth? Do we see personal spiritual growth? Do we see growth as a church? Do we see health? You know, do we, do we see a church that, that is thriving? You know, we've, we've, I think, experienced some crisis here in the last uh, year especially. Uh, you know, we, we believe that God has, has allowed us to go through things that will maybe drive us to him. You know, sometimes I think it does seem like God has uh, withheld his blessing from us. So, you know, are we, are we in crisis? Maybe we are. That's a question to ask yourself. But, you know, we're going we're gonna to see that God has a remedy. He definitely does. But it has a cost, you know, and, and the, uh, the remedy itself actually shows us, it tells us what the, uh, the problem is, you know, why do we need renewal? Why do we need renewal? And as we look at the, uh, the solution, the condition of God's promise, we see that... Uh, you know, we need to ask ourselves, do we, have, do we have pride in our lives? Do we have prayerlessness in our lives? You know, are we, are we truly seeking God? Are we, are we pressing hard after God? Uh, is, there, is there unresolved sin in our lives that, that we need to repent of? You know, now, we've got to keep in mind, God is not giving us this thing here, this crisis, this information to beat us up. You know, he will, he will allow us to experience these things so that we will look to him, so that we will call on him. You know, he wants us to be renewed and restored. It's his desire that we live under his blessing. Remember what Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's what he wants for us. That's why he's giving us this solution but again, this solution has a cost. Renewal has a cost, and uh, we need to be willing to pay that price. So this is a conditional promise. Let's unpack it phrase by phrase. First, he, he starts out you know, saying who he's talking to. If my, if my people who are called by my name. Now, who's God talking about here? You know, immediately in this 
context, he's talking to his people who are the people of Israel. But uh, this applies to us as well. Because we are his people, we are also called by his name. Um, in, in Jeremiah 32, God states three times about his people. He says, they shall be my people and I will be their God. Called by his name. What, what is it? What does it mean to be called by somebody's name? You know, in, in my family, uh, my wife is called by my name. When we got married, she took on my name. When my kids were born, they inherited my name. You know, it's uh, something of my identity. They, they were under my protection, my care, my authority. They became members of my household. Now, my daughters uh, lost that name. They, they were kind of thinking wisely. They, they chose husbands with easy names, Nelson and Collins. I think that was first on the list of, of criteria. Anyway, you know, how much, how much more so with, with God? You know, we, we in the church are, are part of the, the household of God. We're, we're called by his name. You know, as, as individual Christians, we are as people, as individuals who are called by name, as, as the church also, we are, we are called by his name. And, uh, you know, second, God's name is associated with, with power and, and glory. Uh, Malachi 1.11 says, From the rising of the sun to the setting, to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. You get that, that idea of power and glory in God's name. So it's, you know, it's no small matter to be called by God's name, to be named after him essentially. This passage applies to us. We are his people. And uh, as, his, as his people, he gives us four things that uh, we must do as part of this conditional process, or promise, excuse me. First, we are to, uh, to humble ourselves. Uh, what, what is it to, uh, to humble ourselves? You know, one, one thing we think, one way we can look at it is to, uh, to become as children. Jesus talked about this. In Matthew 18, 1 through 4, uh, the, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of him. And he said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the, the kingdom of heaven. You know, why, what is it about a child that he would say such a thing? You know, we're, we're to be childlike, not, not childish. What's he talking about? You know, a child, think about it. A child's uh, dependent, totally dependent on his parents. His, his child, this child trusts his parents. Uh, I, I remember when my parents sometimes would load up the car, load up the station wagon, we'd get in. Sometimes we didn't even know where we were going, but we'd pile in. We had absolute trust in, 
and my dad or my mom who were who were driving, you know, we uh, we didn't we didn't ask, you know, uh, where are we going always? You know, we we didn't always ask why are we going there. Sometimes they didn't tell us at the time where we're going. I remember <coughs> once getting a shot, like an immunization, and it. That that information was withheld from it, from me until until we got there. I even recognized the building. I I didn't like that. Anyway, uh, you know, we, we didn't say, well, why are we going there, not somewhere else? We didn't uh, ask, you know, why are you t- choosing this particular route? We didn't ask, you know, why why are you going this speed that you're going? When we were old, older, we did, I think, probably. <coughs> You know, a child realizes that he doesn't know as much as his parents. Uh, you know, as, as the children of God, we know that as well. I hope we know that. <coughs> we, uh, I've got some water, Chris, right here. We, we recognize our, our weakness. We recognize our sin. We, we recognize our inadequacy. We, we realize that sometimes we just can't do it on our own. We need to fully trust and rely on God. So this this humility says, you know, in, in me dwells no good thing. My my righteousness is as filthy rags. I don't have a lot of bragging rights. I have none. Humility acknowledges God's goodness, his greatness. Humility helps us to recognize that, uh, you know, we're not saved by our own devices, our own works, uh, our own greatness. And uh, think about it, when we approach God, is there really any other way we can do that except by humility? Uh, The Apostle Paul gave us some verses where he gives himself as an example. He says, I'm the least of the apostles. He said, uh, I'm the very least of all the saints. He says, I'm the foremost of sinners. Excuse me for the cough. Peter wrote, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For for God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. That's a good uh, memorizable verse there. James wrote, similarly, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So we need to we need to crucify our pride as people who are called by God's name. Second, we need to pray. Humble, if my people will humble themselves and pray. You know, these, these two words are, are joined by, a, by the conjunction and. These, these two words, humble and pray, go together. Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen says, Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the uh, contrite. And uh, think, think of the parable that Jesus gave in, uh, in Luke 18. This is, this is really a good one to, to think about when we think about ourselves. 
Luke 18, 9 through 14, he says, he told this, uh, this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and trusted other, and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even, even like this tax collector. I'm not pointing at you, Gary. Standing far off. When the, the tax collect, let's see, he, he, I, I missed my place here. This tax. I, I fast twice a week. I, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector who was standing far off over there uh, would not even lift his eyes to the heaven. He, he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, that man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exhausted. Exalted, excuse me. Um, I, I, I was looking at an old notebook that I had from uh, several years ago when I was in Dallas, and I, I used to like to, I still like to write down quotes. I don't do it as, as much as I should, but in this notebook I had this quote, and I don't know who said it because I didn't write who said it, but I thought it was pretty good. This quote said, if we do not choose humility for ourselves, God will choose humiliation for us. E.M. Bounds, maybe you've heard of him. He's, he's an author that wrote a whole bunch of books on prayer. Every one of them, an excellent book to, to read. Nine of them, I think. He said, that which gives wings to prayer is lowliness of mind. That which gives ready access to the throne of grace is self-deprecation. Pride, self-esteem, and self-praise effectually shut the door of prayer. He who would come to God must approach him with self hidden from his eyes. He must not be puffed up with self-conceit nor possessed with an overestimate of his virtues and his good works. That's good there. He's tying together humility and pray. God says we need to humble ourselves and pray. Third, we need to seek God's face. Um, what does it mean to seek God's face? I used to really ponder this a lot. I, I still do. When I took Hebrew class, I got a good uh, glimpse of what that means when I looked at, at the words. You know, essentially, it means that you are seeking audience with God. You're seeking to be in God's presence. A good example of this is, is Esther when, remember, she she had to go into the, the king's throne room and make a request. You know, she was seeking the face of the king, her husband. We can expand this out, though. You know, it's a, it's a seeking of what God has for us. It's a seeking of, of forgiveness, of restoration, of, of salvation. Psalm 80 Verse 3 says, Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we might be saved. A lot of talk in the Psalms about God's face. Listen to this. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud and be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. And my heart says to you, Your face, Lord, I will seek. Hide not your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not far off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. 
For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. That's Psalm 27, 7 through 10, by the way. Psalm 27, 7 through 10. So again, you know, it's, it's realizing the, the presence of God in our lives, having his, his personal attention, uh, partaking in, in his life. Uh, wow, that's, that's amazing. You know, the, the, the eternal God, the creator, the personal infinite God includes me in his consciousness. He's aware of me. He knows everything about me. You know, he doesn't know me any less well than he would if nothing else in the universe existed. <laughs> it's because he's an infinite personal God. That, that's amazing. Uh, seeking his face uh, means seeking and receiving his blessing. Um, you know, it, it implies direct communication. You know, I think about my, uh, my granddaughter, Audrey. We, several years ago when she was really little, she's just medium little now, we went and visited, and she had this uh, little kitchen set. So I was sitting in the living room in a chair next to her. She was playing over there and reading a book, and she goes, Grandpa. And I kept reading. You know, Grandpa, let's have a tea party. And I keep reading. <laughs> Grandpa. And e- eventually she she ran up to me, climbed up in my lap, and put her hands on my face and Turn, turn my face to her face and said, Grandpa. <laughs> you know, that, that, to me, that, that was a, a beautiful picture of seeking God's face, you know, seeking God's attention, seeking, seeking his communication. Uh, have, we, have we ever said to our children, look at me when I'm talking to you? You know, uh, it means we're open to his sight. You know, we're, we're opening our lives, our, our actions, our thoughts, our, our words to, to his attention. Um, think of that Levitical blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you, upon you, and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's number 6, 24 to 26. Um, For us in the church, it's putting our focus on Christ, you know, off ourselves onto him, taking our minds and our consciousness, our eyes off from all the distractions. There are so many that keep us from seeking God's face. <laughs> there really are. Uh, that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, that is a beautiful hymn. That's one of my favorites. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow Strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Uh, seeking his face in, can refer, does refer to seeking his, his guidance, his, his direction, his, you know, our, our inquiring of, of the Lord. In the, in the Old Testament, there, there are several places where God's people rush into something without seeking the, the Lord's guidance and his wisdom. You know, we're told if we lack wisdom, ask for it. Acquire of the Lord. Uh, there, there's some examples. Uh, Zephaniah 1, 4 through 5 uh, speaks of not 
seeking God and, and inquiring as our turning away from him. Turning away from following the Lord. Let me read that. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal in the name of the idolatrous priest along with the priests, those who bow down on the roofs to the host of heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire from him. Uh, there's, there's another story I, I read recently in uh, the, the book of Joshua, Joshua 9. You, you can look this up. It's about a, it's about a, a, a chapter. It's chapter 9. And do uh, you remember that story, the, the inhabitants of uh, Gibeon? Uh, they, had, they had heard that you know, Israel had conquered many peoples and many, many uh, cities. And they decided they would, they would try to deceive Joshua and, and Israel. They put on old clothes. They had old, you know, crumbly bread, crumbly old provisions and said, you know, we're, we're just strangers wandering through the land. Uh, you know, see, you know, our, our stuff's all old and everything. And, you know, will you make a pact? Will you make a treaty with us, an agreement, a covenant? And uh, it, it says in there that uh, they fell for it. Why? Because they did not inquire of the Lord. They did not inquire of the Lord. Um, you know, I, I find myself doing this all the time. You know, making, sometimes making big decisions or, or fretting about what decision I should make. Uh, recently, I, I was up almost all night struggling with what to do. And I, I couldn't sleep, so... I prayed, and I prayed a lot, and the Lord, the Lord gave me the solution. Guess where? In the Scripture. Surprise! <laughs> like the kids say, "Duh." Anyway, fourth, the fourth thing that God requires of us is that we uh, that we repent, that we turn from our, our wicked ways. He says. And uh, what I want to do is kind of tie all, all four of these things together and, and show how they're related. You know, humility is required for us to realize that, that we're wrong. Humility is required so that we can admit our error and acknowledge God's good way for us. Prayer is required to ask God for God's strength and power to release us from the bondage of sin. Seeking God's face is required to realize his presence and draw on his power, the power of the Holy Spirit, to be victorious over, over sin. So we turn from our sinful ways, and where do we turn? To God. That's repentance. You know, what, what happens when we have sin in our lives? Um, do we all have sin? Yes, we do. Uh, you know, we, we do tend to be proud. We tend to be rebellious. Sin stems from pride and rebellion. Uh, when we sin, we somehow place ourselves above God and say we don't need God. We listen to the enemy when he says, like he said to Eve, did God really say that? You know, prayer, 
Prayer is difficult when we have unresolved sin in our lives. That's the, that's the necessity of repentance. You know, Adam and Eve hid from God. You know, we need, we need to approach the Lord with the prayer of the psalmist where he says, uh, you know, create in me a clean heart. Uh, you know, search me and try me. Lord, if there be something in my heart which is grievous to you, put your finger on it. That's my paraphrase. You know, Psalm 98 talks about our, our secret sins. You've set our iniquities before you, our, our secret sins in, in the light of your presence. Those are sins we might be hiding from other people. They might be sins that, are, that we're hiding from ourselves and, and not admitting that God will shine his light on that if we seek him, seeking his face. But seeking his face is difficult when we don't acknowledge our sin. You know, somehow it's difficult to seek God's face in the presence of the king before the throne while at the same time we're rebelling against him. So we need to keep a short account with God. John says uh, if, we are, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a, that is a great promise, another conditional promise. You know, we always need to be humbling ourselves and praying, seeking his face turning away from sin, turning to him and asking forgiveness. This all comes with the promise when we do this. He says, I will. I will do something. He says, I will hear from heaven. Our prayers won't stop at the ceiling. He'll hear from heaven. You know, he, he sees when a sparrow falls. How much more does he care for us? Especially when we approach him with a a burning desire of of repentance, a burning desire to have restoration. It says, he says, I'll hear from heaven and I'll I'll forgive your sin. Faithful and just. He says, "I'll, I'll heal your land. I'll heal your land of, of pestilence and drought and famine and in this land which is defiled by sin. Leviticus 18.27 says uh, something interesting. It says the, uh, it's talking about the, the Israelites or the, uh, the people who were before the Israelites. Talking to the Israelites, he says, for the people of the land who are before you did all of these abominations, you know, the sins that they did so that the land became unclean. The land became polluted. Why? Because they sinned. You know, sometimes God will give us what we want. Sometimes he'll give us what we want and our blessing will, will be withheld. His blessing will be withheld from us. That's not what he wants for us. He wants for us blessing rain, life, good things, the abundant life. But then again, sometimes we get what we ask for to our own detriment. Why does he do it? 
so that we'll come back to him, so that we'll realize how bad it can be. God's not waiting for us to, to do wrong so he can slam us. No, that's not God's heart for us. He wants fellowship with his, with his children. Um, notice, notice that this uh, t- you know, turning from our evil ways was, was listed last there. You know, why is that? Because we need those other things. We need, we need God to do it. You know, by his grace, we're saved. By his grace, we are able to live the Christian life. The, the Christian life is not something which is uh, self-directed, self-sustaining. We need him. We need him desperately. If we walk in the light as he's in the light, it says in John 1, 7, we have fellowship with him, with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, purifies us from all sin. You know, to me, that sounds like a good description also of the abundant life, the fullness that, that God has for us. Well, as we close, uh, you know, this passage is about restoration. It's about forgiveness. Uh, we need him if we're going to have that. That's his desire. We need to ask ourselves, do we want God's judgment or do we want his blessing? Uh, yeah, how much, how much time do we waste just because we've not been willing to really seek God earnestly and desire renewal and do what he has asked us to do, turning to him, seeking him desperately. So we need to, we need to consider these things as, as people, individuals, and, and as a church as well. Uh, you know, I, let's, let's make a commitment together that we'll do this, that we'll humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and, and turn from our, our sin. Uh, I hope we all want this. I think we do. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, I, I thank you that you are a, a God who, who desires a fullness and abundance for us, Lord, that it's your, it's your will that we would have a great relationship with you, Lord, as we come to you like like children with with humility lord i i just ask you to help us to be dedicated to praying lord that we would as it says in the book of acts devote ourselves to prayer that we would seek you lord bring healing and restoration to us change our hearts lord lord we confess we need you. We confess that our righteousness, our own righteousness is just garbage. We need you, Lord. And we pray in the name and for the sake and the glory of, of Jesus Christ. Amen.